better this week. This is much better. The whole night's looking up. Yeah, can I bring the lights up a little bit? And these may be down just a tad bit. That would be grand. Thank you. Nice to see people that I haven't uh, seen for a while. Um, Cassie and a couple others. Nice, because I think about you all the time. And uh, really nice to see you tonight. I know we have a interesting crowd, I think, because we have such a different uh, group, because a lot of the people that are normally here aren't here. And we have a lot of people who have visited or people back. So always nice to see new people and uh, different people. If you've never been here before, you're always welcome. Anytime you ever want to come on a Wednesday night, more than likely we're here. Chances are slim to none that we're not. I think there's like once or twice around holiday time that we're not. And that's about it. Or if there's blizzards, which I don't think we've got any coming up. But then again, this weather's been crazy. We never know. We never know. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I find this really disappointing this last couple of days. After last week, last Thursday, Friday, when you get that warm weather and it's really nice, isn't it just kill you to go back to these little bit colder days? It's like, please. I'm not giving up. I've decided I am not going back to anything else. It is going to be capris and flip-flops. If it's back to like 30 degrees, I'm wearing them. I don't care. I'm done. So I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to have fun with that. So, yes, I'm, I'm going to live dangerous. <clears throat> there we go. All right, so actually, uh, last week we talked about Creator of the Earth Day. We talked about Earth Day, a lot of ecology things. We're going to kind of go off uh, tonight on um, the idea in Christianity that a lot of times there is things that take place. Like sometimes when we first accept Jesus, uh, maybe just think about following after him, we become like kind of tourists on this path, this journey. And then there's a thought that later on that maybe we can be a travel agent and better yet, a tour guide. So tonight the message is, Tourist, travel agent, or tour guide. My daughter does the graphics, and she's like, could you get a bigger title? I'm like, I probably could have if I'd have thought about it. But she did last week. She's like, and then last week was like creator of the Earth Day. Mom, what's wrong? I'm like, I don't know. I just like to mess with your mind. So anyway, um, I think if you read God's Word at all, or if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you realize that um, when we read God's Word, it doesn't take long to figure out that Christianity is like a, on the move thing. You know, there's things that are happening. You're, you're moving forward. And uh, pretty much once we accept Jesus as our Savior, we pretty much start to begin a journey at that time. God's Word talks about that. We're on a path, that we're on a journey, and that's going to take place. Uh, there's a constant moving. There's a, a constant going and doing once we become a Christian, hopefully. And uh, God really doesn't let us stop until we head out on the final journey, which is really heaven. And that's what his plan is, that we continually stay moving until that final curtain call and we're heading out. So I think he does that for a reason, though. You know, if you look at Christianity, um, I think it's pretty much one of those things where he really wants us to keep moving because he realizes that if we stop for any length of time, if we stop a little too long, what ends up happening is our tendency is to either go stagnant and kind of lose our focus, or we start to go backwards. And fall back. And, uh, you know, if you look at what water, if water's standing, if water's standing in a pond, uh, you know, your fast-moving stream, which you can't wait, canoeing's coming. I love canoeing. Really bad at it. I am scared to death of spiders. You know, and spiders, like, build those big, like, 
spider webs and trees when they're coming down by the water, and I completely like freak out when I'm coming up by one. I'm like, no, don't go that way, don't go that way, because I'm like petrified of spiders. But I absolutely love to go canoeing. It's like one of the funnest things. Um, if you go to the Little Vermilion, it's like fabulous. So anyway, um, those are you know pretty fast moving in the spring. You have to go early because otherwise the water gets too low and you can't do it. But you know you want some fast moving water so you get through and you can kind of shoot some of those areas where there's rocks. But if you have an area of water that doesn't move, you know, you get a log jam or, or something happens where there's an area of water that starts to pool and there's nothing pulling it in the direction it's supposed to, that water tends to start to smell. It starts to go stagnant, you know, and that's what we don't want to take place. So uh, the thing is, with, with God, God really wants us to keep moving because he realizes that we also can go stagnant, that we can start to smell after a while, that we're, our faith is really not going to be what it's supposed to be. You know, if you look at what stagnant means, it's basically there's three definitions that I ran across, and it's to become sluggish or dull, to become stale or foul from standing, or to stop developing, growing, progressing, or advancing. So we can see those three things. You can see that happen a lot of times in people's spirituality. You know, a lot of people really have a mindset. They really want to do something for God. They want to serve God. They really want to be passionate. But before long, they kind of lose focus and they start to go stagnant. So I'm sure that some of you guys have seen some stagnant people. I'm sure you've run across some. Hopefully not when you're looking in the mirror. You know, hopefully it's not you. But, uh, you know, water that doesn't keep moving, it does grow foul. And a lot of times, even in a standing group of a uh, puddle of water, what will happen sometimes is even the wind or, or something else that moves it, the water can not only stand still, but it'll start to go backwards the opposite way. Church terms, have you guys been in church any length of time? What happens when somebody goes the opposite way or falls back? What do they call them? Backsliders. <laughs> That's a church term. Most non-Christians will have no idea what you're talking about when you're like, "That's your backslider. They'll be like, I don't know what you're talking about. And it's like, that's okay. That's a church term. Um, so this idea that we're going to be on the move, it's shown to us right from the very beginning of time, right in God's Word at the very beginning. God's Word talks about the fact that we are on a journey, a journey that starts to take place. And a journey is a traveling that takes place from one area to another area. And uh, usually it takes a pretty long time. If you go on a journey, it's not something that you don't, you know, most of us, when I go to, I live in Trade Grove, I'm going to come to Peru. I don't tell John, I'm going to go on a journey to go get a gallon of milk. I say, I'll be right back. I'm going to head to town. I'm going to go on a quick trip to town. You know, I don't say I'm going to go on a journey because journey signifies it's going to take some time. You know, you might have to pack a bag. You might have to have a change of clothes. You might have to have extra money. You know, something breaks down. You might have to have a way to stay overnight. You know, those kind of things take place on a journey. Trips aren't like that. But our faith is not a trip. And I think that's what happens a lot of times is in our faith, I think people think it's going to be something that happens very quickly. You know, we accept Jesus as our Savior, maybe out of a passion or an emotion or something that takes place. Or maybe just going through a tough time and you think, yeah, I do want this. And then you think you're going to all of a sudden become everything that God would want you to be, like a trip from Troy Grove to Peru. And it's not going to take place like that. It's going to take place over years and years. And it's going to be a journey. It's not going to be a trip. So someone on a journey is obviously called a traveler. And sometimes they even go by the name tourist. You know, most people, if you travel out of the country, they don't just call you a traveler. They call you a tourist. 
Um, years ago, they used to call people that, you know, travel, and they did not call them Turans, like moron, Turans. They do a lot of dumb stuff, you know? Um, hopefully yourself and where you are in your faith, whether or not you've accepted Jesus or not, if you have, hopefully you actually have a destination in mind. If you haven't, hopefully you understand that there is a destination ultimately that you're going to end up, regardless if you think so or not. Um, you know, the thing is, a lot of people, you wouldn't go on a trip. You wouldn't pack a bag and or plan to go on a trip and pack a bag and get everything ready to go, make all the arrangements, and then just sit in the car and never go. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't waste your time. You wouldn't waste your time preparing. You wouldn't waste your money booking a flight. You wouldn't contact people, make arrangements for the hotel later if you weren't ever going to go. But spiritually, people do that all the time. People make all these arrangements like they're going to end up from point A to point B, but they never actually get up and travel anywhere. They just keep sitting in their car and waste gas and let their idle, you know, let it, the car idle and that's it. So God's word says that we're on a journey. And uh, we are traveling like all those that have gone before us in the Bible. If you read God's word, you realize there's a lot of journeys that took place. You know, throughout his word, I went years ago to Germany. And I traveled at first with my sister and my niece. And it was a lot of fun because, you know, you're with a group of people and it was really fun. And we had a great time laughing, joking. It was there for like 12 days in Germany. And bunch of girls, great time. Unfortunately, I went home about a week before everyone else did. And I pretty much got dropped off at the airport in Frankfurt. Kind of like one of those kiss and flies, you know, where it's like, get off the car, you grab your bag, and you're going to an airport. Well, that's all fine and dandy when you're like O'Hare. But when you're in Germany and you have no clue what you're doing, I was a little worried. Because I was like, oh my goodness, my best friend who was in the Air Force, and she still is, She's up in Alaska now, but she um, she pretty much just like said, well, this is where you need to go. You know, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> Got out of the car, and I went to go up. I'm thinking, I have no idea exactly what I'm doing. So you just hope that you're finding the right letters and numbers and everything that they're telling you to do, and you're just really hoping that you're going to end up. But it's really uncomfortable, you know, when you're traveling alone. Isn't it fun when you go someplace? Don't we always like to travel in packs? Girls, we love to travel in packs. We hardly like to do anything alone. I'm going to the bathroom. You want to go with me? You know, it's like for some reason we just like to have people with us. It makes us comfortable. I don't know what it is. Guys don't usually do that. It would be really weird if guys started. Nathan, I think I have heard him a couple times say, Mike, you know, I'm going to the bathroom with you. <laughs> Russell. <laughs> I'm joking you, Nathan. I'm just joking. Um, but the thing is, girls do this all the time. And really, it's not like they really need that comfort, but it's just that comfort. Girls just like to know that someone's with them and they can have somebody to talk to all the time. I guess we just like to talk a lot. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but the thing is, you know, God doesn't really expect us to go on a journey by ourselves or really do it on our own. Maybe girls have something going here. They're smart, see? Because God is. He gives us help. God gives us help. He doesn't really tell us to do all this alone. He tells us that he's going to help us. You know, the biblical example shown to us over and over again throughout his word is that he puts up with people and really their their mistakes, their missteps, their problems that they have on their journey. And he really puts people in charge of, and to lead over us and help us. You know, early on in the Exodus, 
you know, everything, if you really go back in the Bible, if you read God's word, you realize that so much of later on what happens really can all be summed up about what happens at the very beginning with the Israelites and leaving and the Exodus and, and leaving Egypt. And, you know, early on in Exodus, when the Israelites, um, who were God's chosen people, you know, they were escaping slavery from the slave master, Pharaoh. And Moses was the one who was called to be their personal leader. He was the one who was supposed to go and help them. And uh, Moses was the person that they could physically look at, physically touch if they wanted to, and say, that's our leader, that's the one, that's the person that's in charge of us, and that's the person that's going to help us. And uh, they looked at that as like that was their leader. But the thing is, Moses was there as a physical leader, but God was always there with them in the spiritual realm. They were never alone, actually. When Moses walked away, God was still there, and he was actually leading them, just churches and ministries still have today. You know, we have churches where there's a, a leader, but hopefully God's still in their midst, leading them and directing them. You know, up here in Seawayam, I may be your leader, but ultimately it's God who's leading you. It's not me. I might be a physical form, but it's actually God who's in control, not me. It's God who leads me, who leads you. And that's what it's all about. So, there may be a leader who's called to be an example for you to rest your eyes on, speak to you, give you direction, maybe motivate you. But it's actually our God who's the one who's trying to help us go in the right direction and helping us not to go stagnant or start to fall back and be a backslider. That's what it's all about. In uh, Deuteronomy 2.7, it says, God, your God, has blessed you in everything you have done. He has guarded you in your travels through this, through this immense wilderness. For 40 years now, God, your God has been right here with you. You haven't lacked one thing. And this is God's word talking to those Israelites, those people who were supposed to be out there for 40 days and actually walked for 40 years because of disobedience. And then in Isaiah 30, 21, it says, Your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, This is the way that you should go, whether to the right or to the left. The thing is, a lot of times we don't have ears to listen to the spiritual leader. So sometimes we have to have a physical leader. You know, right now, God's word is that he wants you to follow him. But if you don't have a physical leader saying, hey, God wants you to follow him, you may not hear that message. You know, you might not hear God saying that to you, but that's why that there's people put in a position of leadership so they can say, hey, no, this is what God wants you to know. This is what God wants you to understand. Judges 18.6 says, the, uh, the priest said, go assured God's looking out for you all the way. The thing is, God does look out for us all the time, and he does pay attention to us on such a personal level and such a personal degree. So the example then, and still today, like I said, there is a physical leader. Um, and it's, you know, not unlike Moses, who Moses was at the time. And uh, the thing is, though, Moses and God, both of them really led with the people's best interests at heart. They wanted them to make good choices. But unfortunately, people don't always make good choices. And uh, the plan is um, kind of flawed when you think about it because humans, flawed creatures, you know, we tend to like um, sometimes really make missteps where we maybe sometimes give a leader a little bit more glory than they deserve. <laughs> Some people really have a hard time like in a church setting or something where someone would be like, oh my goodness, we can't go on because this leader's not going to be here. You know, they think, oh, my goodness, how am I going to put up with this? You know, I can't go on. But the thing is, 
sometimes they go that route, and then there's those people sometimes who will blame a leader for every single thing too. So really, you know, you've got this whole idea where people will over-glorify, and then sometimes people really have no respect for leadership. So there's, you know, Moses went through this. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's flawed because it can be messed up because sometimes they do give more glory and then um, sometimes more to the glory of the leader than it is really the God who sent them. You know, last week when I talked to you about the creator of the Earth Day, I told you I said that's what the problem is with ecology. It's great. We all should be ecology-minded. The only problem that's really wrong is when we would put ecology in front of our faith in God and our salvation. That's the only thing that's going to mess us up is if we start to worship the creation more so than we would the God who created creation. You know, so it's always keeping the mindset of what's really more important. So a true good leader is always going to point you back to God. You're going to notice people. Pay attention. Pay attention to your leaders because if you hear your leaders sitting there saying to you, well, you know, I did that. Well, I don't know if you noticed, but, you know, I led that person to God. You know, or I did this for them. You know, it says there's something wrong with that. Because you should be a person, there should be a leader in your life that actually is going to point out and say, you know what, God used me to do this. Or it should be something where they're really always pointing back to God, not to themselves. If there's somebody pointing to themselves, they might have an issue with pride, and it might be something that you might kind of, hmm, don't know if that's really so good to follow that person. So Moses was forever, though, trying to point the Israelites back to God. He tried over and over and over again. If you read that story, I'm going to tell you, it's nonstop. All he does is try to point them back. No, but did you notice it's God that's doing this? You know, they just weren't choosing to see it. So many times they didn't choose to see that it was God. He wanted them to honor God. He wanted them to give glory to God all the time. You know, that's what he was trying to do. So, you know, you have to you have to pay um, thinking about that, you know. Um, in Exodus... 13, Moses actually says to the people, this is when he's trying to point out the fact that God is involved. God brought you out of here with a powerful hand. You know, here he is, a physical leader. He's doing this. He's saying, hey, people, follow me. He's the one who went to Pharaoh and, and planned the escape, planned to get him out of there. But he's saying, listen, no, 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 this is God. God brought you out of here with a powerful hand. Then he also tells them, says, tell your children, this is because of what God did for me when I came out of Egypt. So tell your kids this is what God did, not what Moses did. Because this is what God did. And it was with a powerful hand that God brought you out of Egypt. When God brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he promised you and your father. So he's always pointing out the fact, this is God, not me. You know, I might be just a tool. But, you know, a tool is worthless unless somebody picks it up and starts to use it. You know, a tool can accomplish a job, but it needs a, a person, a, a person who's going to be the master to master the tool to accomplish the the will of it all, of what it's meant to, be, to do and to be. So the thing is, God used Moses. So Moses tried over and over and over again to point the people back to God. And instead, like I said, they either gave glory to Moses, and we're thinking he's wonderful and great, or they began to blame him for every single thing that went wrong. That happens a lot in leadership, too. They told Moses in chapter 14, this is where you realize that people are very fickle. I don't know how many people you've ever helped in your life, but if you've ever had somebody like start to blame you after long, before long, you were trying to do something nice and they start to blame you. But they told Moses in chapter 14, um, weren't the cemeteries large enough in Egypt so that you had to take us out here in the wilderness to die? You know, what have you done to us taking us out of Egypt? 
back in Egypt, didn't we tell you that this would happen to us? Didn't we tell you, leave us alone here in Egypt? So right off the bat, they're telling it was Moses. It was you. You caused all this problem with us. You know, if you wouldn't have done this, if you wouldn't have took us out of here, we'd have been just fine. And finally, in chapter 16, Moses tells the people of Israel, this evening you will know that it is God who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of God. Yes, he's listened to your complaints against him, and this is the point he makes to him. He says, you haven't been complaining against us, you know, but against God. So he makes it a point to say, hey, all this different stuff you're saying to me and my brother Aaron, you know, we're just trying to do what God's told us to tell you to do. That's all we're trying to do. So he says, you know, as you're complaining and as you're doing this, you know, you're directing it at us, but you understand you're not even complaining against us. You're complaining against the God who pulled you out of this. So a lot of times, you know, this is what happens in our daily lives. A lot of times when you go on a trip, things can go wrong, right? How many of you guys have ever gone on a trip and had something really go wrong, like you lost luggage or reservations were messed up or something happened? You know, sometimes that happens. You go on a trip and something falls through. You know, how many of you guys, even when you were traveling on a road trip and you have the, the roads all mapped out and all of a sudden you get a detour and you're like, oh man, where's this taking me? And all of a sudden it's all these different signs saying, go this way, back this way. And you're like, how many miles am I out of my way now? I don't even know where I'm going. And all you're going to hope for is that they really have the signs back and you're going to end up going in the right direction. Because most of the time you want to go north and they're taking you south and you're like, this, how is this even going to work? It doesn't even make sense to you. This happens. But a lot of times, you know, if you travel, if you've lost, um, you know, luggage or if you happen to have a situation where you go into a hotel and all of a sudden the room's overbooked, convention, about, I think it was the second year I think we took kids down there, made sure at this fancy hotel that they were going to have all the rooms with two queen-size beds in them. We got there, one king-size bed in the rooms. I had five girls with me with one king-size bed. So literally what we did, I slept with my head on an end table as a pillow, and we were all stretched out stretched out across the bed the other way, you know, as much as possible, trying to work it out. You know, so you're a little ticked at that time. You're like, well, I didn't pay for this. I expected to have two double beds. That's what I asked for, you know. But, you know, if you went on a trip and you're going and you paid somebody as a travel agent to take care of these things, what's going to happen is you're going to go back and you're going to blame somebody, aren't you? And most of the time, who you're going to blame is that travel agent because you have their number. <laughs> you're like, I can call them. Did you do something wrong? Did you book me the wrong room? Did you do something here where you said you were going to give me this and this didn't happen? So what ends up happening with this whole thing is Moses was looked at as like the travel agent. Well, it was you. You should have took care of this. You should have planned this better. It was you that did this. You know, basically they asked him, like, what? You booked us up on a flight from Egypt and took us through the Red Sea? How's this going to work? You know, you're going to take us through water? How's this going to happen? You know, what? And then they're, they're, they're thirsty. They're, they're really, really thirsty. So they say, what? No fresh water? What kind of trip is this? How's this going to work? And then they ask them what kind of accommodations they were because, you know, there's no fresh beds, no fresh linens, no continental breakfast, nothing like that. You know, they start complaining. They started asking about watermelon. Did you know that in the Bible? They actually say that. Numbers 11.5, it says, they started asking Moses, why can't we have meat? We ate fish in Egypt, and we got it free. To say nothing of the cucumbers and the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic, but nothing tastes good out here. All we get is manna, manna, manna. So they're complaining to Moses 
wah, baby. They want, you know, they're complaining. They don't have everything just like they have. Forgetting the fact, hello, you just got out of slavery. <laughs> you were just taken out. You were making bricks for Pharaoh, and he was whipping you. Yes, you got free leeks, and you got onions and watermelon, but hello, you were slaves. So they started to blame Moses as their leader right off the bat. It happens all the time. You know, our human nature is to blame those around us who hold, uh, who told us about this serving God thing. And I don't know who it is that ever told you, but a lot of people, when you first accept Jesus, things are great, but all of a sudden, sometimes you can get up against that wall where all of a sudden start, things start to fall apart. You're like, well, wait, this whole faith thing, this is a little harder than I thought it was going to be. You know, when people start to not really appreciate everything you have to say or your opinion on things or the fact that you are a believer and uh starts to get a little difficult and you start to want to blame that person well i wish they wouldn't even invited me wish they wouldn't have told me about this because look at now what i have to deal with you know there's a lot of times it's happened with me <laughs> i've told people about jesus and i've told people about jesus up here and uh a lot of times what happens is because i am the leader just like moses I'll get yelled at. You know, the truth is, though, I'm just a fellow tourist right along with you. That's all I am. I'm no different. You know, the thing is, I'm just here telling you that there's a different flight. You know, there's a different path for you. You don't have to go this direction. You can go that direction. You can be in a better place. You know, you can march out to a better destination. But it is really completely up to you. It's your choice. You know, if you want to book that flight, you can book it. You know, you want to decide for yourself how you want to act on that flight, you go ahead and act that way. You know, and basically it's your decision, you know, if what it is and what you're going to get out of it, what you're going to take away from the, the path, the journey that you're going to be on. So Moses led them, but God's plan wasn't for him to spoon feed them or pamper them or take care of them. He was just called to really lead them and help them. And a lot of times, you know, the thing is he was just, Telling them things, and they were just acting wrongly all the time, no matter what he tried to do. You know, and the thing is, I can relate to Moses' anger. I can really relate. And I have a little hard time sometimes. I can be a little temper-ish sometimes. <laughs> and uh, don't always have as much control as I'd like. But, you know, the thing is, I can understand Moses' anger. You know, when he gets mad and he smashes the first tablets that God wrote out. You know, the Ten Commandments were given. God wrote them out, you know wrote on them with his hand himself, got them all ready, and Moses went down, and he was angry because right off the bat when he was gone, they immediately, Aaron and the people, started making this little fake golden cow to lead them out because for some reason people just want to be led like sheep. So they have to have something, you know. Moses was up on the mountain too long, so they were worried. So the thing is, you know, Moses comes down, he gets mad because he's like, what? I'm gone for this little bit of time, and you're kidding me. You people actually made a golden cow? And you're actually worshiping this. Are you kidding me? So he takes it and, of course, psh, anger, smashes them down, breaks them in pieces. I can relate. I wish I couldn't, but I can. Because I'd be a little bit mad, too. I'd be like, what? We just come out of slavery. Hello, people, wake up. You don't get this? How hard is this to get? I don't understand. Then he also, because of his anger problem, God's word actually says that Moses is supposed to speak to the rock and tell water to come out because they were thirsty. And Moses gets mad and he takes a stick and slaps it and says, here, 
water's going to come out. So God was a little frustrated that Moses did things a little angry sometimes and reacted in the way he did. But, you know, he was really annoyed with the people. But he wasn't just a travel agent. Moses was also a tour guide. You know, the thing is, Moses was annoyed, but, you know, and he may have helped him with the arrangements and how to set this whole thing up, but he wasn't sitting back in his lazy boy with a glass of lemonade watching a Western at home, waiting for the phone call for someone to come up and complain and say, hey, these accommodations are bad. You line this up for me. He was a tour guide. He was right there with them. He was a fellow traveler. He's like, he's right there. He's like, I'm here with you. I'm going through this tough time too. I don't know what you're talking about. That's the difference between a travel gauge, travel agent and a tour guide. Most of them make arrangements for you in their home. Tour guides will take you, and they're going to work things out and help you along the way. You know, the thing is, when a tour, tour guide, something goes wrong, the tour guide is going to be right there along with you, and he's going to try his best to make it right, and he's going to try to get you better and safer accommodations. You know, he's going to try to get you the best uh, plan of travel. He's going to get you the best place to go eat. He's going to try to get you everything that you need. That's what he's supposed to do. You know, a fishing guide. You know, if you hire a tour guide that's a fishing guide, they're going to take you, hopefully they know, they're going to take you the best fishing holes. You know, they're going to know where to go. They're, they know because they've been there before. So they're going to help you out. You know, the thing is, Moses did the same for the people that he was angry with. You know, in chapter 33, he says to God, look, he's just frustrated. He gets so mad, he tells God, he says, look, you tell me to lead these people, but you don't let me know whom you're going to send with me. You tell me. I know you well, and you are special to me. So he says, listen, he says, if you're going to go with me, God, he says, then I'll go, and I'll still lead these half-hearted, annoying people. But I'm only going to do it as if you're going to go with me and you're going to help me. You tell me you're going to do it, then that's fine. But otherwise, I'm not going to do this. You know, he says... Uh, to Moses says to God, and this is where I've always kind of questioned, I'm always like, this is just blows my mind. Because, you know, God is an amazing God, and his word doesn't really change. And the thing is, it's just amazing to me that Moses could speak so bluntly and so boldly to God himself. Because he actually says, if I am so special to you, then don't forget that this is your people. <laughs> he says, your responsibility. That's what he says to God. Pretty bold. Pretty bold to say that to somebody, isn't it? Say, hey, you know what? The thing is, if you're going to do this, you know, you're going to send me with them. Understand, this is your people, not mine. You told me to do this job, but they're yours. And God said, my presence is going to go with you. I'll see the journey to the end. And Moses said, if your presence doesn't take the lead here, then call this trip off right now. How else will it be known that you're with me in this place and with your people? Are you traveling with us or not? How else will we know that we're special? I and your people among all other people on this planet Earth. I guess, you know, everything we do in our faith, we want to know that God's with us. There's no point. Anything we do up here on a Wednesday night, you know, as, as much as I want you to have a great time, I tell you all the time, I don't really care if you had a great time. My job as a leader is not to put on a show and a song and dance for you, order pizza, pizza for you every night, and just sit here and just hope that you have a great time and send you on your way in an hour and a half. That might be what other people think I'm doing. But I take it a little more serious than that. I take it as my call, my responsibility is to teach you about Jesus Christ, God's word. That's what I'm called here to do. It's not here to entertain you or 
have you to have a good time and go home and tell you, I had fun. I don't really care. There's a lot of times, you know what, I had, don't have fun, but I learned something. And that's what's more important. So the thing is, that's, that's what you have to be more concerned with. Because it isn't just about having fun. You know, the people on this journey didn't have fun, but you know what, they went from slavery to freedom. That was the whole point what was so great about it. They complained along the way. God was pretty faithful and patient to put up with them. And Moses was, I think, extremely patient, considering all the stuff he put up with. So the thing is, God proved to Moses that he was with him. And I think that is another part of the story that just blows my mind, because it actually talks about how Moses basically says, I want to see you. And God's word tells us over and over again, it says, if we see God, what happens? We die. Can't happen. He says, if you see me, you'll die. But he gives Moses a gift, because Moses really wanted to know he was going to be with them. Because he saw these people making such dumb choices, and he wanted to make sure that he was there with them, following them with them, that he said, God said, you know what? Fine. Go over there and stand in this one spot and hide in this little, they call it a crag in the rocks. And what he says, and this is what I said last week when we talked about creation, I told you how God created all things, and there's even parts of the scripture where it says that he measured out the stars and everything with his hands. We don't have a clue how big God is. But again, the scripture, what it says is it says that what happened was as the presence of God passed, that God's hand protected Moses. And then he went like, he walked, and then he was only able to see God from his back is all he was allowed to see. Because he said, if you see my face, you know. So it makes you wonder, again, how big is God that his hand is what protected Moses? That just blows your mind, doesn't it, to think about that? You know, I don't think we at all have an idea. We talk about God's word. We don't understand it. We can't get it because his ways are not our ways. I don't think we can even possibly comprehend in our minds how big and how glorifying and amazing God is. I don't think we even have a clue. But God also showed them. You know, like I said, Moses was given this gift to know that he was with them. But God also showed the people so many times that he was there with them too, with Moses. You know, all the things, you know, there's parts in the Bible where it talks that what God did was he allowed there to be a a pillar, a cloud that would be there at the daytime. And then there was a pillar of fire that would travel with them at night. And it depended if it stayed, this cloud or this fire, if it stayed during night or day, then they were supposed to stay. But if it moved, they needed to follow, and they needed to go and follow that when it left. So the thing is, God was always paying attention and watching them and helping them for how long they were supposed to be there, when they were supposed to go, when they were supposed to do another path, when they were supposed to go over here or there. The accommodations were always made. Moses might have been the leader, but God was the one who was always making the ultimate accommodations. Like, okay, this is where I want you to sleep tonight. Go over here. You know, don't travel at all today. It's going to be dangerous. Don't go today. So just stay there. Stay where it is. And that's what God's word said. Really let them know they weren't alone. They were never alone. So God, who showed himself available to Moses and the people, over and over and over again. And then we have Jesus, who himself, and and God's word talks about the fact that he himself first went before us in everything that was to take place in our lives. You know, it's proven so many times if you read God's word that the Old Testament, what happened was a precursor to what's going to take place in the New Testament. 
In Isaiah, there's whole prophecy exactly about what's going to take place when Jesus himself comes. And Jesus, when he does come, he also is with us, helping us, directing us, telling us when to go, telling us when to stay, doing those things. And what's so cool about Jesus also is the fact that he himself, like I said, he went first. You know, here's a, a God, God himself who walked among us, and he made sure that it was doable, that we could do this, we could accomplish it. Never going to be as perfect at it as he is. You know, he was perfect. He wasn't going to fail. But he went through the temptations. He went through the trials. He went through the struggles. He went through all this. And all he could do is really count on the fact that God also was with him. And it says many times that's what he did. He just called out to God, and God, are you with me here? You know, I need your help today. Will you, you know, and he still was talking to God the Father all the time. There's only one time where he doesn't hear from him. We know that's when he's on the cross, and that's when he says, God, why have you forsaken me? That's the only time God really left. And they said that was because that was when Jesus felt the whole sins of the world upon him at his back at that time. So we know that God was with us in the Old Testament. We know that Jesus was with us in the New Testament, that he made a way first, that he had to be a safe passage for each one of us. That's the whole really great thing about salvation. He was the first one that's redeemed. He's the first one that died but gets redeemed, redemption, gets to live in heaven. He was the first. He was the first one. After he did it, he made the plan, plan for each one of us. Now each one of us can follow. He was the first one to accomplish it first, and then now us. And then also after Jesus dies, comes back in three days and goes and lives in heaven, what does he say he's going to send us to lead us now? The Holy Spirit. He says, okay, I'm going to leave, but he says, don't be sad that I'm leaving because when I leave, this means that you not only get a God who can go with you or a Jesus who can walk among you that you can physically see like Moses, but now I'm going to give you something even better. I'm not only going to have a Jesus who walks among you, but I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit of God that actually lives inside your heart. That's amazing. That is an amazing gift. Man, what a comfort for a traveler to know no matter what, no matter where I go, no matter what I do, I can't lose. I can't lose the God that's with me. He's always going to direct me. He's always going to tell me the right path always going to tell me, this is the way to go now. Don't go this way. If we would just listen and pay attention. The thing is, too, with our faith, all these things take place. We see the pattern, how it sets us up. But we realize that after all these things took place, that now it's up to us. It's our job to be the tour guide. It's our job now. We're not going to be able to book the flight and do everything. Maybe you can tell people about Jesus. But the thing is, people want to see that you're a tour guide. Not that you can just tell them, hey, yeah, this is how you live as a Christian. You know, they want to see you walking along with them. They want to see you going up to people and telling them, this is how you do it. You know what? This is where you want to go. This is what you want to read. This is what you want to do. And it's going to help you. People want somebody that they can believe. You know, if I sat there and told you all about Japan, how great Japan was, it's the most beautiful place in the world, you know, you need to play, visit this, this, and this, and I told you all this, and you're like, how many times have you gone, Deb? I'm like, oh, never. I've, I've never gone to Japan. You'd be like, what are you talking about then? How are you telling me how to get to Japan? I don't think you have any right to tell me anything. The thing is, if we're walking this walk, we have credibility. 
You know, if we can sit there and tell somebody, you know what, I, I'm on this journey with you, man. This is not easy. It's tough. It's going to be a tough road. And you know what, though, how I got through this battle, when I was in this situation and it was going bad and everybody was after me and, man, my family was falling apart, this is how I got through it. You have belief. People can believe you. You have credibility. They're like, okay, I believe what you're saying because, you know what, there's something backing you up. But it's our jobs now to be tour guides. To do it well, obviously, to be a good tour guide, you have to be friendly. And you have to be consistent. Who wants a tour guide that one second you walk up to them, they're like friendly, next second they're like, just go sit down. I'm not talking to you down. Christianity, I'm going to tell you, you're going to want somebody that you always feel like you can go up to somebody and talk to them and say, hey, I'm struggling here. And they're not going to one day be nice, next day just bite your head off. If you're a Christian, live a consistent walk. Be friendly to people. You're never going to get to tell them, well, God, I would never believe anything you said if you weren't being nice. There's nothing worse than watching somebody that drives away and being ignorant to a drive-through lady, and it's back in their drive, you know, their driver's license or uh, license on their car is like, you know, so and so church or be a Christian. It's like, yeah, right. Everyone just looks at that and say, hypocrites. I don't think so. So you have to be consistent. You have to be a person that you can be approached, and you have to be easy to talk to, and you have to be eager to help a person go that extra mile sometimes. You also have to be able to t clearly explain the details sometimes of what people are going to expect in their walk with God. You know, that this is going to cost you something. It's an amazing, con you know, contradiction, faith is, because it's a completely free gift. Salvation is free. Unfortunately, it's going to cost you everything you have after you do it. It really does. You know, completely free. But man, it's going to take you to change completely your whole life and your direction of what you're going to do. And you can't follow this world no more. You have to go a different direction. You have to be able to tell people the truth. And you know, the thing is, like I said, you have to be authentic. You have to be really, truly on that walk and that journey yourself to be able to tell somebody else how to do it and that they should do it. Because if you're telling somebody that they should do it and you're not doing it, they're going to be like, well, why aren't you doing it then? You know, I, I, I've told a couple people here, look, Elvis Presley. They said Elvis Presley was, he, he went to an Assembly's God church for years. They said that he, what he would do was he would go visit his home church all the time. And he loved it. He would always go way up in the balcony. He would sit there the whole time that the message was being spoken. He would sit there and he would cry. He'd never go forward. He'd never say he wanted anything to do with Jesus. But what he would do is every time as he'd go around the people who were all struggling, having problems in their life, he'd always tell them, you know what you need? You need Jesus. That's what you need. Thing is, you know what? You see where his family is, they're Scientologists. Just it's a shame because it's like if he could have maybe figured it out, maybe he could have actually done something different for his daughters, his daughter and his wife. Maybe he could have been the spiritual leader he was supposed to be, you know? If he would have just thought about himself changing. It can't just be about trying to change other people. We have to be really be authentic and be changed ourselves that we can offer something to somebody else. They're looking and say, Okay, it is real for you. And then they'll do it. Matthew 28, 19 says, Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave his, his charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone that you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all that I have commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this, day after day after day, right up until the end of the age. So Jesus says, I will be with you. The Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ lives inside of us. So he says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you. 
So the thing, like I said, the tour guide is going to know where the best things are. And he's going to want you to experience them. I'm going to tell you, if you are a tour guide for God and you really mean it, you're going to want people to experience Jesus in the best way possible. If you're getting something, you're going to be like, man, this is what you need to do. You need to go here. That's why sometimes you may get tired of hearing us talk about prayer on Tuesday night. But you know what? If you've been here on a Tuesday night, you feel God's presence. Last night and the, the week before were amazing times of prayer. This Thursday coming up is going to be an amazing thing. If you can come, you should come because it's going to be put on by the college group. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to be multi-sensory. It's going to be smell, everything when you come in here. It's going to be all on Isaiah, and it's going to be a really powerful night. You know, the thing is, the re reason why I tell you with passion that I want you to come is because I really, truly want you to experience this scripture reference. I want you to understand what this means when we talk about prayer and what it really signifies. And hopefully, I'm authentic enough as a tour guide to sit there and tell you, you need to go see this because it's really real. And hopefully, you'll believe me. And you'll be like, yeah, maybe I should go to that thing. Maybe I should really be part of that. But it is up to us now. You know, it's up to us. It's, it's our turn now to tell people which way to go, which places to stay. And, and, you know, it's up to us now to walk alongside of them and stand up for them when they're going through tough times and they're being treated poorly by all the natives in this world. You know, it's up to us to help them out. And uh, we have to be real and we have to do that. You know, we have an amazing God. And if we have truly experienced the God that we say we have, and we start on this journey that's so tough, but so amazingly rewarding, I mean, it really is, we should be so willing to help anybody along the way because it's been so real to us. I am so amazed that God has made my life what he has. Last night, just at the end, we were talking in our prayer time and saying, just call out to God. I always say that scripture reference, and I just so believe it. I mean, I have it on my MySpace and everything. I truly believe when God's word says, he says he takes and makes beauty from ashes. And I always think that with my life, my life was so not good. And it's amazing to me that he can take a life that was just such a mess, so messed up, so hurt, so beat down, and he can turn it around and he can give amazing beauty for that. I mean, that's the God we serve. That's why I would passionately tell you to serve him too. That's why I want you to go on the journey with me. That's why I want you to be a fellow traveler because I want you to experience forgiveness. I want you to experience freedom. I want you to experience God's presence. I want you to have it all, just like I have. I want to read and end with this. Um, it's Isaiah 35 eight, And what it is is really just an ending of what takes place at the very end of time. Because as much as we're on a journey now, and we're hoping to get someplace, we're hoping to end up in the final destination, this scripture is actually referring to us on the final walk, the final journey, when we finally go to heaven. This is what this actually says. It says, there will be a highway called the Holy Road. No one rude or rebellious is permitted on this road. It's for God's people exclusively. Impossible to get lost on this road. Not even fools can get lost on it. No lions on this road, no dangerous wild animals, nothing, and no one dangerous or threatening. Only the redeemed will walk on it. The people God has ransomed will come back on this road. They'll sing as they wake, make their way home to Zion. And fading halos of joy encircling their heads welcome home with gifts of joy and gladness as all sorrows and sighs scurry into the night. I mean, that's God. That's how he is. And that's what he offers. You know, 
one day we're going to be able to walk on a road. There is nobody going to stop us. It's only going to be headed to glory. But it says only the redeemed will walk on it. No one else is going to be on that road. No one out to get us. No one out to trip us out. Have to trip us up at that time. It's the road that leads straight to God. That's what I hope for each one of us. I plan on walking it. I plan on going on that destination. I'm going. Now, hopefully, nothing will ever stop me. But um, hopefully that you guys will get it, too. And that's what you're going to understand and that you're going to take it and mean it and believe it so much for yourself that you're going to want to really spread that to other people, too, and tell them that you want that for them, too. That's what the whole thing's about. So anyway, I was going to ask tonight, um, if you have to leave, you can leave. But I was going to ask, do you think you guys could finish with um, Hosanna? And uh, just I wanted to give an the opportunity. If you really do need prayer for anything, just uh, during the time after we get done, if you want to come talk to me about something, we can just maybe play quietly. But if we could just end with Hosanna and uh, finish up with the worship song. And after that, if you guys are have to leave, you can definitely leave. If you can stick around for the theater, do that. But uh, if not, you're welcome back anytime. Thanks for coming. Mr. Bombastic. We want some bombastic, romantic, fantastic lover. Shaggy. Mr. Lover, Lover. Mm. Mr. Lover, Lover. Mr. Lover, Lover. Mr. Lover, Lover. She called me Mr. Bombastic. Fantastic.